like, oh, these damn out-of-staters. Like, oh, we do. <laughs> or driving around, I see, like, Minnesota license plates. I'm like, who these guys think they are? <laughs> yeah. In my Pennsylvania license plate. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50 pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey episode 85 yeah part two do that there you go so I did that. do Duh. Duh. Remember Hot Shots back in the day? Did you ever watch that with Charlie yeah. Sheen? Yeah, yeah. Hot Shots part two. Part two. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. Classic Charlie Sheen. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't make movies like that anymore, man. No. Well, it is uh, July 21st. Yes, it is. Almost in August. Whoa, dude. dude July's been flying. I know. Yeah. We got. I got, a, like, my whole rot. Dude, I hope I don't blow, blow my wad early. <laughs> like, I, we've seen... I've got more bucks... At this point in the year this year than I, I think I ever have. Uh, and so did you get everything planted this weekend? 13 food plots. Holy fudge. One nuggets. day. Whoa. Three guys, 13 food plots. Two and, dragons. And, <laughs> and a box blind. We got a box a muddy box blind now. That's impressive. On a food plot that we had 250 plus inch three-year-olds last year. So I'm super excited about that one. Got deer growing everything. The way to do that caught is caught that rain last <clears throat> night. Caught a rain last night. I mean, it's perfect, dude. Mm-hmm. We got um, we and we did uh, uh, how how we do? It? I had Dad and and Jed on tractors. Yeah, and so they started disking first thing in the morning, dude. It was it's just awesome. Every time I go up there, I mean, we saw so many deer. You had My, a good plan too. Going we had a good into plan. That. Yeah. So I had first thing in the morning. I, I had already sprayed everything two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Dad and Jed. Box blind had already arrived. Jed already built the base of the box by two oh, which saved us an hour huge yeah yep dad fi- had fixed the sprayer which mm-hmm. ended up breaking everything was already nuked everything was nuked so dad went in and and jed and they started disking right away mm-hmm. and uh are you disking or are you tilling disking you are disking yeah, just disking tilling takes too long mm-hmm. I, and i'll be honest dude I, to, at this point i would seriously consider not turning any soil at all I, mm. I really don't know why we're doing it we talked about that because, you know, I planted in Kentucky and I, I disked two plots and then the third, I never got to spray. And I mean, it's tall, thick, you know, thick grass. So I broadcasted brassica into it and then I came back and I nuked it with Roundup and I'll be interested to see what happens. Uh, well, I did that on several occasions last year and it worked great. Oh, that'd be awesome. Worked great. So, I mean, the, and it's the, dying. I mean, I've been, I've been seeing pictures from my camera like it's it's. You know, I'm I've nuked that plot. It's dying. Well, dude, that's for sure germination that you're seeing there. I mean, that's, Isn't that crazy? That's green carpet. So we've used. Uh, you guys obviously can't see this picture, but I sent Jared last night four days, um, and we caught a rain the day after I planted. But I planted. Um, I planted real world plot topper. Yep. So I did all that. Yep. I did six acres of that. Yep. And then I came back and I hit it with plot start the next morning. That next day we got a really good rain. Um, and so it's been four, it was four days as of yesterday. And like, I sent you that picture. I'm like, dude, am I on drugs or is this like significant germination? I mean, it's green. You, you could see the green carpet. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's where, like, when you start thinking about food plots, timing is everything. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and we plant, you know, people, a lot of people say, well, guys, it's like mid July. Like, what are you doing? Like, if you want to have significant bulbs on those brassicas, you have to plant them now. Huge bulbs. Huge bulbs. Yeah. Huge. I'm talking huge. Yeah, that's that's typically the case. Even on that plot topper bag, it says plant as early as August 1st, and I'm mm-hmm. throwing them in the ground. Well, and I mean, I've I've planted brassicas here in Pennsylvania in usually the second or third week of, eight, of August, just because of timing and how it works out with rain. And I'll get great, you know, leaf on top of them, but I never have like... Well, see, and that's not right. 
I mean, that's that's fine, and it looks good for for a yep. bit. But there's there's nothing happening underneath. Nothing. The reason we planted earlier is just because we want we're counting on some drought in August sure. and maybe even into September. Sure. Without fail, we're we're worried. We're yeah. like, oh, we haven't gotten the rain, and yep. so so if we buy ourselves two weeks into July, um, regardless of lack of rain, you know, it'll just sit dormant for that, that period. Mm-hmm. We've had pretty good success with. Uh, as soon as you get that rain, it'll it'll explode. Yeah. So I, I've got Kentucky planted. You got Ohio planted. I'm going to hit. Um, behind the house in Pennsylvania this weekend because we've got a lot of rain supposedly next week. Yep. That's what it says. Start Sunday night. Yep. So I'm going to try to hit, uh, get everything planted behind the house uh, this weekend. I'll probably get sprayed on the mountain. And then uh, next week is Whitetail Properties meeting for us in Kansas, which is part of our guest we're going to talk about Missouri. Today. Missouri, Kansas, yeah. And then um, the week after we come back, so that first week of August, I'm going to plant... <laughs> Uh, all my food plots in Ohio, and that'll be then we're we're off and running. Maybe I'll try to come down and help you. Okay, I think I'm going like on a Tuesday or something, just to yeah. blitz it. Yeah, Tuesday works. Sure, <laughs> yeah, just to blitz it. Uh, also, because our listeners are probably tired of hearing me talking about it, not doing anything. I finally have this early successional oh. habitat project like in motion. You just gotta let it go, Jerry. That's what we're doing. So, uh, you know. It's taken me two, three years of kind of like circling the right strategy, whether it was to plant switchgrass or employ some kind of mm-hmm. early successional release program, which, you know, is, is kind of um, not as widely talked about. You know, it's kind of Craig Harper and... Well, it, and I mean, people... The older QDMA guys had knowledge on that. You I know? think people gravitate, and I'm not saying he's wrong, but if you've watched any of Winky's new stuff on his farm, his solution is planting acorns. Yeah. Like, that's what he's doing. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but, you know, in these big fescue, old pasture-type places, man, if you can have 20 to 30 acres of just whatever's Second. in the seedbed successional yeah. growth, not only are you going to have food early in it, it's going to provide amazing cover for three, four, five years. And then if we do the right breaks around it, we're going to burn that son of yeah. a gun. <clears throat> and then it sets it all back again. So the reason that it's taken me so long is because a lot of this happens during the hunting season, 100%. which is, is not cool season time for typically him. how you think about it. You know, yeah. it's like, well, this is hunting season. This is food plot season. Mm-hmm. So my strategy for this right now, and this, this may change, I'll, I'll obviously keep this updated as we do it, but um, we're going to, and I've got, I mean, maybe 50 or more acres of this stuff. We would do 50 to a hundred <laughs> acres at some point. It will change the farm. A hundred percent. We're gonna we're gonna brush hog first mm-hmm. uh, sometime in August or September. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal is just to remove, yeah, make it a manageable amount of uh, litter, yeah. ground litter essentially. Um, we'll go back mid October, October fifteenth mm-hmm. to the twenty fifth. If I catch a, a, mm-hmm. a warm afternoon or something, we'll go out and, and I'm gonna sp- not uh, life is a everything. Yeah, spray it all. We'll leave the waterways and stuff, so mm-hmm. it'll be kind of you yep. know ten acres at a time knobs. And then uh, two to three to whatever weeks later, sometime in November, I'll have Dad go out with a disc and put in our fire breaks mm-hmm. in the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, Are you so, throw a clover in those fire breaks. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe in the spring. Mm-hmm. In the spring, so we'll turn it over just so we have bare dirt. You can put it in, in in November, and I mean, you'll get a little growth, and don't go dormancy, and then it'll be ready to go in the spring. We'll see. I'll be hunt- I'll be hunting. So yeah. I mean, I'll let Dad go out and disc, and then yeah. So. Come you know February and March, we will have a a sprayed mm-hmm. plot with brakes put in with or without clover in the brakes, and we're gonna burn. Yep, we're gonna burn it off, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll, I'll have you out, and you mm-hmm. know Nick will we'll film it or something. Um, and then I'm gonna have I, when we may pick up another disc here in the meantime, like a ten foot two mm-hmm. row disc, multi row disc. And we're going to turn everything over. Turn it over. Yep. Get and it that's out. it. And you're going to, and we talked about this with Craig, like the first thing you're going to see is stuff that it's not, not desirable, but it's not what you're looking for. It's that early disturbance, like out of the ground, quick to grow spring, summer type stuff. Ragweed is what I'll have. Yeah. Ragweed. Um, there's some other, you know, pigweed and things like that. That'll come up too. 
you know, and then as that stand matures, that stuff goes away. And that's when you start to see like your green briar or your black raspberries or your blackberries, like all your, those are the things that really start to build in. And, and that's what you want. And, and you can see on our property, essentially test patches of that, where we've had unsuccessful food plots, sure. but we didn't burn necessarily. And I didn't spray at the appropriate time in October, which you the just left them. The point of that is to try to kill the grasses, but leave. Yep. The stuff that's dormant, which dormant. would be your your broadleaf mm-hmm. weeds that we want, mm-hmm. um, and those are you know thick as heck. I mean, those mm-hmm. are you know four to six feet of just you think of briars, green briar, it's all you want, multiflora, blackberry. So yeah, I, I'm I'm confident that it will it will work. Very cool. That's awesome. So yeah, I mean, we got lots going on. I mean you know, a couple more podcasts here and we're, we're talking about next weekend being like the opener of Kentucky. Well, dude, I've got, I don't know the number for sure. I'm going to say I've got six to eight shooters. That's why that I'm fully aware of right now. Having a good idea of where they're at. I thought Nick was taking his shirt off. I was like, holy cow, man. Easy. You're getting getting hot and heavy in here. Couple real good ones. I mean, you know, I don't think I have any booners on camera. Yeah, no super giants, but several mid 50s to high 50s unicorn buck yeah um you know made it a year so which is amazing to go from three to four on our farm like that's man that's a big one huge win so he went he went from low 40s to i'm gonna say mid to high 50s this year yeah big you know 12 point um that there's a deer that i passed on maybe we'll post it to social at some point this three-year-old i called in looking right up Mm -hmm. at me in the stand i've got like the best picture you could Mm -hmm. ever imagine uh he man that sucker put on a frame yep and uh so they're starting to stack up and you know the guys are it, man i mean just excited start watching them food i put um the one thing i'll be interested in is i put um i planted one plot with real world soybeans last weekend so mid-july with the goal being to have 12 to 18 inch green beans for the kentucky opener which is september 3rd uh and if that happens Probably one of the boys is, I would say, going to get a shot at one of those big velvet bucks in that Kentucky bottom. Nice. Um, so we'll see. I, I've never done it before. I've heard other people use that strategy in the past. Um, and and the, the foolproof plan is, is if those beans fail, meaning they get eaten to the ground, then I just come in with oats and whatever and first week of September and just make it a green field. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's – I feel like uh, as scattered as we were maybe two weeks ago – we've, we re- we've recollected we've recollected and we've we've got a plan and we're enthusiasm renewed we're heading towards it at this point so um so i guess that leads into next week so next week we have the national sales meeting for white hill properties um in st louis so we're going to be there with what 300 350 agents um be a good time really starting to like share stories what's working what's not the market is definitely turning, but you know, you and I have had some really good success here in July. Um, seems like buyer market really is kind of turned on for us. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then the more exciting part of that is we leave Wednesday night, we're gonna drive to Kansas city. And that means Thursday and Friday morning, we will be in Southeast Kansas, hanging stands and camera Mm. and probably a hundred degree heat. Mm. Um, but our guest today, ticks in our butts. Yeah. Ticks in our buttholes. Uh, what's Brian's last name? Ross? Brian Ross. Uh, hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Uh, which is, what's his handle? Kansas Shed Hunter? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, check out Kansas Shed Hunter. And as the name would entail, the dude picks up giant sheds in, in Kansas. Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, H- hence, um, hence our, our connection. I, I think yeah. I, I just basically reached out to Brian and said, hey, man, uh, cool Instagram channel. Yeah. You guys find a lot of giant sheds. We'd love to. To yeah. get, get on a podcast and chat with you. Yeah. So um, obviously, our table always consists of a lot of sheds. I would say, dude, what? 90% of these sheds are Kansas sheds. <laughs> like, this isn't. If not all. These are all from Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, this, this is a PA yeah, Euro. Uh, everything but. else is, I killed this buck. But yeah, everything else is Kansas <laughs> sheds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, exciting to, to kind of talk to him and then. Obviously, we will keep filling you in. Uh, Nick, when when is this one going to air? This one will be not next. So Mark Drury is? Is this Tuesday coming up? Okay. So two Tuesdays from now. So if you're listening to this, hopefully, if Jared and I pulled this off, uh, last Thursday night, we will have done our first YouTube live, um, which will be, uh, we'll be in Kansas. 
So since uh, we aren't going to be filming a podcast that day, we figured, hey, let's do a YouTube live. We'll have some high lives in hand, yep. some SD cards getting looked through, and we'll yeah, we'll just jump on and I don't know, chat with you guys and yeah. Uh, field any questions or just talk talk about what we're doing in Kansas. Yeah, probably get a lot of questions because Mark Drury will have dropped that week. Cool. Um, so anyways, let's uh, tune in with Brian here and talk about shed hunting right in on. Kansas. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Awesome. Another warm one here in Kansas, but... Well, yeah, we'll yeah. manage. Dude, I almost wore my Eureka Tornado shirt uh, today, I was saying, for the, the Kansas spirit. Nice. You guys pumped out being in Kansas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's been – so Jared and I didn't draw last year. Well, I guess we did go and uh, shed before. hunt that March. So that would have been March of 2020. Yep. Um, or April of 2020. And then we didn't draw, so we didn't come back that fall, and we did not go back and shed hunt last year either. Um, it's been a long time. Since it's been two – really? Is that the case? Mm-hmm. It, well, will, it will have we, almost been two years by the time we get, a, we get April, back there. April of 2020 was the last time we were there, <laughs> so it'll be over two years. Yeah. Well, dude, that's that's why it's so special is when we do get out there. It's like, man, it's been, it's you know, it's been so long since we were here, and it's such an, it's an amazing place, you know. So we kind of, I think some guys take for granted that they get to run out there all the time, and it's like, oh, it's, we're in Kansas. Mm-hmm. For us, it's like it's a monumental experience to even just get to go and, and hang cameras and stuff because it, it only happens once every Mm-hmm. A, a year essentially yeah the unknown in kansas is pretty special i think especially i mean i hunt public so you just never know what's going to show up even if you're running cameras all the time it's just uh amazing sometimes the deer you'll see the quality of deer we have here and uh i i'm fortunate enough to hunt here all year round which is awesome but uh out of standards that come down here i mean it's it is something special yeah i think well, and I, you know, Brian, I think one thing, um, cause obviously we are the out of staters, um, you know, I've been hunting there, I've been hunting there since 2013. Um, and you know, in the last four to five years, cause you've been hunting there four or five years now. At least. Yeah. It, this, it will, de- this will be my sixth year. Sixth year. It definitely seems like we have seen, um, an increase, especially during bow season of the number of um out of state bow hunters in that Kansas area. And it's funny how we find ourselves too like we're like, oh these damn out of staters. Like oh, we do. <laughs> or driving around, I see like middle Minnesota license place. I'm like, who these guys think they are? <laughs> yeah. In my Pennsylvania license. We, we we're like you, Brian. We even though we do have a couple leases there, like we hunt a lot of public land, um, Army Corps land in our case, um, you know, in that in that area. Yeah, definitely a lot of out of staters, but uh, I like to focus on those battle standards being there, you know, first week, second week in November, which if you can go after or before that, you know, Halloween time, uh, all those public areas, you won't see any cars and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy and you'll get on big deer for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I usually focus on later after the rut or before the, the rut. Uh, <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And there's not pressure, which is, uh, just being here all the time. You see that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that first week in November, there will definitely be a lot of out-of-state tags in those areas where you usually don't see cars. And uh, yeah, well, that's a that's a good time to focus on. We typically get there the third week of November, so that week before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, and we yeah. st- we still see some some out-of-staters, including ourselves, down there, but. You know, it, it's uh, we've kind of bounced around. You know, I frankly, I killed my biggest buck ever, like three days before Christmas down there. Um, you know, in the late season, but you know, we we like to like to have that opportunity to to catch that later part of the rut, just because you never know what's gonna you know end up pushing through one of these draws or anything. And you know, um, we typically have a pretty good idea of what bucks we're hunting just because we are going to like, you know, we'll be down there next week getting cameras and stuff, but you know, there's always those surprise deer that show up and you're just like, you know, for us. And and again, maybe this is where it's not unique to you, Brian is the amount of territory that these bucks cover during that November time period in Kansas. Like we're used to it, you know, in, in the Midwest, but like in Kansas, I mean, these bucks are covering, multiple multiple miles per day um 
you know, that that's what I think took Jared and I some time to get used to. It's like he may be two miles from me hunting. We're hunting the same deer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially around Thanksgiving, they really start cruising, covering miles, looking for those those does that are uh, about ready to be bred. And uh, they are they are miles. I find that when I find later on, I'm finding shed two or three miles apart to matching deer, you know, and mm. uh, uh, it just amazes me how, how far they travel. It's, wow. it's just crazy. And uh, during the rut, they're just, especially getting to South Central Kansas where there's uh, 10 acre, uh, like timber lots, you know, there's mm-hmm. not very many trees down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they're just going lot to lot covering miles, looking for these hot does and they're just covering ground. Uh, it'll, it'll blow mind. Yeah. yeah and, uh, Up here, it's they cover miles, but uh, there's so much thick timber. Uh, they're sticking to their core areas, I think, around uh, northeastern Kansas. I gotcha. But yeah. they are they are still covering a lot of miles. Yeah. So we're we're in the southeast part of the state, and and we're seeing that you know it's it's very pasture based. You know, a lot of cattle grazing in those areas. Some some ag in areas, and it's just you know, corridors of timber along the creek bottoms and river bottoms. bottoms. And, and, you know, well, we're hunting a major river bottom. So essentially like anything around it is, is kind of an offshoot. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's classic, classic can't get in a river bottom, you know, find a a corridor and that's, that's where we're killing them. We've killed several like that. And I mean, we've seen, you know, that one, uh, buck a couple years ago, we called him nutsack. Um, (laughs) remember we got him in the summertime at one of our leases and ended up getting them in the fall at our other lease. And those are five miles, five away. miles apart. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's crazy when you see that deer and you're like, there's no way that's the same deer. Same deer with, uh, what do we call him? The, uh, LA beast. Oh, LA beast. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Far away, man. Yeah. Multiple miles away, you know, LA and beast. yeah. And they just, they just cover ground, you know, in these areas. And, and I think it's so unique, um, that if anybody's ever, you know, coming from another area to hunt these places, it, it takes a while to get used to it. Oh, definitely. Uh, you'll see that with uh, neighbors hunting the same deer that are three or four miles apart, and they're they're hunting the same 200-inch deer, you know, and they're only get a couple opportunities to shoot that deer throughout the year, and uh, they're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then some guy three miles away shoots that deer, and it's just... Uh, it's frustrating. It's it's really fun too. And yeah. then you just never know what's gonna show up out here, um, which uh, makes it really fun hunting Kansas. I mean, the unknown factor. Sure. Uh, I don't run a lot of cameras on public. Uh, I really like that unknown factor of uh, what's gonna show up yep. on this public ground, and uh, that's exciting for me. I know guys hunt. Hang several cameras throughout the year. Some guys hang hundreds of cameras throughout the year. I only hang a few, and uh, I'll hunt multiple pieces of property around here, and then 20 miles up north, 20 miles down south. And uh, those are the places I like to go hunt. Just the unknown of I know there's big deer there. Uh, I know I'm in a good spot, and uh, uh, hunt the right days, put time in the stand, and uh, that unknown factor yeah. uh, really yeah. gets me going. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the cool thing about Kansas is like, you can, you can get away with that essentially. Like we're, we're kind of doing sure. the same thing. Granted we get out or try to anyways, once in the summer to do a little bit of, you know, uh, work, you know, to get cameras out and, and get some kind of inventory. So at least we know, you know, which, you know, if we can key on a specific gear that we at least want to be in the vicinity of. Um, but if not, you know, it's, it's hard to be just a good spot. Uh, during the right time of the year in Kansas, because they're they're just there. It's like man, every man. you know every big uh, you know, yeah. river bottom like that or something, you're gonna find one. So, yeah, and I'll go to spots where I found big sheds before, and I know there's big deer in there, and so it's kind of one of those things like you don't know if that deer had been taken the year before, um, but uh, those are areas I focus on too, where I find big sheds. Yeah, uh, you know, in uh, January, February. And uh, I'll focus on those areas as well. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews. <laughs> yeah. One in the same. 
But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea full of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Brian, are you seeing when you when you go in and find um, you know a big set of sheds or something in, on public? <clears throat> you know, I, I assume you kind of have that mental marker in your head of like, all right, this is a place I want to revisit next year. Um, I guess just ballpark. You know, what what are your what what have your experiences been in terms of encountering, you know, a deer that you've found like a significant set of sheds and then the next season being in that area and being like, yep, you know, that's that deer. Uh, up North I've had that account and encounter with a big, uh, I found a 180 inch set the year, the next year he blew up. I got permission on that land and the first time I hunted it, uh, in October, I saw that deer and then Never got in bow range, and I saw him again, uh, which is frustrating. He ended up getting taken that year by a, an out-of-stater. Uh, it was a uh, he blew up to two hundred inches. But uh, I will see those deers that in the, those areas where I find those sheds. But uh, sometimes they're just that's not their area during you know bow sure. season during hunting season. They're just in there because food sources close, um, and they're just traveling from bedding to food source and uh during hunting season they could be miles and miles away um, mm-hmm. but occasionally yes I, I do see those the deer that i find sheds from in those areas i'll yeah. either catch them on camera uh during hunting season um but it's not like i'm seeing them there all the time right yeah i think i say that because you know jared and i one of these sheds on this table and then the one you have at your house you know we knew the the area that those deer were occupying um pretty much all of of bow season at least you know i don't know what happened in december january um but we came back in oddly enough they were still yeah they were held up there yeah we came back in april and literally within 100 yards of each other in the area we had them all on camera for months boom there there's at least one side of each of their sheds so you know, and, and again, maybe that's because of the habitat and how it's like that river bottom fragmentation well, it's in that, that area. It's that cedar patch. I think that they've got the, thermal a, cover. Yeah, there's an area of cover there that's like sufficient for yep. essentially the entire year. And, and it's just remote. It's untouched. Mm-hmm. And uh, there there had to have been a, a food source that they were using in the late season that mm-hmm. would have kept them in the area at least. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll find them like in those sanctuaries, what I'd call. Usually I'll find like like one side and then I'll shed hunt that huge, that huge draw. And I might find the other side two miles away, but it's ne- it's next to like a good food source. And mm. they're traveling that, that bottom or that, that ridge to that food source, but they're coming back to that sanctuary is what I'd call it. And, uh, where they feel secure. And, uh, in those sanctuaries, that's where I find uh, a lot of good sheds and, uh, surprising how far I find match sets, uh, how far between I find the match sets. Like two of my biggest ones I found this year, uh, found one side and the other side's a mile and a half, two miles further oh, down wow. this draw. And it's just, it blows my mind. It's yeah. crazy to think about a, a buck, you know, carrying that one side. I mean, it's gotta be heavy, like 180 right. inch, you know, so you got a, whatever, a 80, 85 inch shed mm-hmm. on, on, you know, still hanging yeah, probably, on one side of it. It's you know, like four to six pounds of weight. You'd think they, that would feel loppy, you know, and they would throw it off right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it just all depends on how that, you know, they call it the, uh, they call it the abscission line, but how that line is getting eaten away. And then, you know, is it by force that that comes off? Is it by, you know, just shaking the head or, Both, yeah. yeah, you know, cause I mean, how many times do you find, you know, uh, match that like with an eyesight like there they are you know right together um but you know you do see half racks and you know march april a lot that they've lost one somewhere along the line and 
you know, are still carrying that other one. So, Brian, how many sheds do you think you find a year? What, what's a good number for you? Uh, if I find over 100, it's a pretty good year. This year I found uh, 139. Holy the year before cow. I found 140-something. Uh, we put it in a lot of miles, uh, take the family out, take my dog out. How many, uh, how many miles if you had to guess? Oh, geez. I don't even want to guess, but, I mean, there's been days – there's been a weekend where I put in 25 miles and didn't find a single shed. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Those are rough days. Uh, yeah, those and, those uh, are the days that you question your, your motive. <laughs> oh, definitely. It is uh, so weird. It's just like when us, when we found these two sheds, it was the same deal. I think it was at the end of 10 miles where we hadn't found anything. Yeah, we were spent. And it was like, oh, here they all are. <laughs> it's yeah, just, they're, right? yeah, they're either there or they're not. Well, it's, I was going to, and I know this is kind of, a broad question, Brian, but, um, it seems like maybe the, well, I don't know about last year we didn't hunt, but I guess 2020 and 2019 we shed hunted and they were holding, they late. were holding late, um, later than, you know, what I'm used to. Cause we usually go out there in, in March and we're, we're on sheds. Yeah. You know, we had gone out in end of March or early April and run into several groups of bucks still, still holding. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's a weather thing probably. Um, we thought they dropped early this year because uh, the drought we had this year. Right. We thought they were dropping early, and uh, we found a bunch early. Uh, and uh, finding them in different food sources that we weren't finding them in before. I found a lot in beans this year, which is a good area to look. I usually look at beans, but there's a lot more closer to uh, a water source. And um, and when you say early, Brian, yeah, what, uh, what month are you talking about when you say early? early January. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, I have found them in late December, mm -hmm. uh, but that's pretty uncommon in yeah. this area. Yeah. Cause I know a lot uh, of guys in Kansas, they won't even start walking till March, you know, for the, for the main reason that they don't want to walk a 25 mile section and then have to come back and walk that same 25 mile section. Yeah. Uh, mid February is when I really start walking a lot. And that's when I start picking up a lot of, a lot of bone. And, uh, by March, you know, uh, if you're in a good area, you're picking up several. Hmm. Um, I walk a lot on public and in some private. So, uh, I focus on that public stuff early, uh, before it gets hit hard. Cause we do have a lot of competition down here for shed hunting. Usually focus on those beans early just cause they're so easy. They stick out like sore thumbs in those beans. You know, I glass a lot. But you definitely have to walk it uh, to find them because even with glass and you're not going to see, you'll see an 80 incher out there, but you're not going to find those, those little sheds. Yeah. Um, Do you worry, Brian, about uh, bumping deer out of an area like too early? I know like around home, like if we have just a, a farm to hunt without a lot of surrounding public and stuff that we can access, my fear is going in without proof that the deer are shut out and like bumping them off the property. Um, and then having them drop the shed elsewhere. Yes, I definitely worry about that. That's why I'll focus on food sources early and just stay in the fields, hit those areas. And then uh, mid-February, late February, Sorry, I'll jumping go into in it. deeper. And uh, yes, definitely. And uh, I like to hunt, shed hunt an area, especially if it's uh, private. Uh, I won't go walk the whole thing in one day. I like to stay on the section of that ground so if i do push the deer hopefully it stays on that that property mm. and then later on the season i'll go hunt this other other side of the the property and uh might pick up his other shed or his sheds um yeah but there is that factor i run a lot of cameras during shed season too just so i can see when the majority of the deer have been dropping before i hit it hard yeah so do you have a particular strategy then if you, once you've identified, Hey, we're going to walk this ground today. Um, it, are you walking a certain like Southern sides of those Hills or, um, you know, taking a, a certain route through the property or is it just kind of covering as much of it with as many eyes and people as possible? You know, I should hunt by myself. So I will early on after I get through the fields and, and, uh, I find them up on the ridges a lot around here and definitely in the feed fields because they're there during night. And, uh, I see that on camera too. Uh, they're there a lot. They're feeding hardcore and, uh, that's a good place to start uh, mm. for sure. 
uh, edges is a great place. Um, you know, guys, fence lines, crossings, creek crossings, stuff like that I focus on. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about putting in the miles, walking a lot, and getting lucky, too. I mean, yep. uh, you, you can put in all the miles you want, but sometimes you just walk right by them. Uh, even the most seasoned guy that shed hunts, uh, it surprised me the ones I find the next year that I'm like, man, I, I walked 10 yards from that shed. Yeah. hundred percent. It was, it was on the ground. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts, man. Yeah. I mean, we've had several of those. I mean, Jared, you and I picked up that set. Um, this one, <clears throat> and this was, um, we had found. I want to say we found this one first, uh, which this thing is like a massive baseball bat. You know, it, it was probably two plus years old, but you know, this is probably a mainframe 180 inch eight point at you know when it was in its full right. But giant, this huge was, kickers off this. Yeah, twos. this was like laying by a tree, and you picked it up, and we're like, holy shit! Well, we were it. standing. We we were like collecting <laughs> ourselves. We're it were right. I mean, we were kind of been a hundred yards from a, a main parking area on public, and I'm standing there. I'm like looking. I'm like. There's a bone there. There's a bone laying there. Yeah. And I pick it up. I'm like, this is a shed. And we're standing there, like, looking at it. We're like, I can't believe this is a shed. And I look, and there's the other one laying right there. Yep. Yeah. We, and if it was a snake, it would have bit us. But, yeah, I mean, this was, you know, in its prime would have been 180-inch plus eight point. And how many guys must have walked right past that? I mean, that's that, that shed had been laying on the ground for at least a year. And it was not, 100 yards from a public parking area. Yeah. You know, right there. So... You cool know, find. it's one of those ones where, you know, giants walk. Shame that we couldn't have found that thing <clears throat> intact. I mean, that's. that's and then this amazing. one is, uh, guys have heard us on the podcast talk about it. This was a buck that we called Wide Boy, but uh, we had watched this buck for four years. I mean, he was probably 10 years old, and I put one in his shoulder blade um, in November. And, uh, you know, end up jumping them and, you know, it was the next fall, uh, one of mine and Jared's buddies had hit a buck and I was walking a section of woods and I look up and I see basically this and I'm like, huh, looks like a shed, you know, it's November. And I walk up, I'm like, son of a bitch. It's his, his shed from last year, you know? So this was the year I shot him and I found it, you know, whatever, eight months later. Yeah. It's surprising how many people walk by him. Uh, that, that big deadhead I found this year, I found a 213 inch deadhead, double drop tines that died early. Uh, my buddy had him on camera. Uh, and when I got the tag from the, the game warden, he's like, do you know how many guys walk by that deer? Yeah. It was a heavily traveled public area, upland birds, uh, guys deer hunting, elk hunting in that area as well. And, uh, He's like, I wouldn't be surprised if 500 guys walked by that deadhead. And it is in tall grass, and I just got, I got lucky. Uh, here, I'll show you the deer. So. Oh, my God. Wow. 213 inch double drop time. I got a video of uh, me picking it up. Uh, I was a little excited in the video. Uh, yes. Uh, Unreal. Was that on public, Brian? Uh, yes, it was on public. Crazy, man. And 500, the game warden said probably 500 people walked by that. And then 500 yards away from that, Dude. Wow. I found this non-typical wow. 10-inch basin. Wow. <laughs> Part of Kansas, you say, bro- Brian? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. And he had another tine. My buddy had it on camera. He had another tine that was 13 inches that got broke off, but he died late in the season. And I found these t- about 500 yards apart. Wow. Do you think that one was Same just a, a super old buck, Brian? The one you're holding? I do. His, uh, his skull is huge. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, when he got in that fight and broke off that tine, he has a crack that goes down his skull. So, so got, I think that really messed him up. Got his bacteria. He he was about to shed his left side. It yeah. looks like it was starting to break apart, but yeah, he died later in season. Yeah. The other one could have got shot or wounded. Um, 
but it's it's crazy. I, uh, they were so close together, and yeah. they were by a really good food source, so they're yeah. probably worn down. And uh, wow, we're just. You know, it, it's it's funny because um, you know people people miss um, miss a lot of things on these older bucks. You know, in Kansas, you know, Iowa's probably the same. You know, these places that have a really um, you know older age class structure, and you have these intense fights on some of these bucks like that one. The amount of pressure it puts on their skull plates is is intense. And what happens is you get those cracks, and there there already is where the growth plate is, where that skull expands, there is a gap there. And so as that pressure expands and contracts on it, you get bacteria that goes down and it causes a brain abscess. And you know, some of the research, most of it out of the South, um, not so much the Midwest, but out of the South has explained that, you know, up to 10% of mature bucks, not just bucks in the population, mature bucks in a herd will fall to brain abscesses every year um, because of that, you know, you think of two five-year-olds uh, or older going at it and cracking skulls. The amount of pressure that's put on that skull plate allows just the minimal p- amount of bacteria to go in. And as soon as that gets into there, that brain abscess is pretty much inevitable um, and it'll kill that deer, you know. And, and so people will find mature bucks and say, you know, ah, maybe he got shot or maybe, you know, the rut killed him. And typically it's it's a brain abscess would be, you know, your most likely candidate, unless you know that there's a, a wound on him or he got hit by a car or something like that. Hmm. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, we do find a lot of big, old, mature deer dead here. And uh, everyone wants to blame it on an inexperienced hunter who took a bad shot, but sometimes it's just old age. It it is. Uh, It it is. I mean, if you think about it, if you've got, you know, let's say you're covering a thousand acres of an area and let's say you've got, you know, I don't know, five bucks in Kansas that are, that are five or older on that thousand acres, which is not, you know, unheard of, you know, keep in mind that, you know, out of those, there's a good chance that at least one of them is probably going to die from a brain abscess every year. Um, You know, and so that's when people start to think about these big mature bucks is why I kind of asked you about the sheds and then seeing that buck later on is, you know, uh, there's a chance that that buck just dies of natural causes, you know, and, and, and that happens out there. And when you start talking about the, the thing that I always relate Kansas to is you just have a lot of deer space out there, meaning there's just area for deer to go to, you know, whether in your Northeast or you're in the South Central, like it's just space for deer to cover. Whereas in the Midwest, it's more fragmented or you've got major metropolitan areas and stuff. And like, it, it shrinks the amount of space that these deer have to go, you know? And so when somebody says, well, you know, that deer got shot or, and I just don't know about it. That might not be the case. He could have moved. He could have died of natural causes. Like there, there's a lot of other things that could happen to those mature bucks throughout the year. Oh yeah. And you always hear about those deer that disappear and then, Two years later, he just shows up on camera and it's Crazy. like, where, where was he? Yeah, where'd he go? Why did he leave? You know, what what pushed him out or what made him move? And, you know, I, it's, I think we're, as a society of hunters, very quick to jump on the, he disappeared, he's dead. And, and I will say that in a lot of cases, that's probably true, uh, especially if you're in a heavy hunted state. But ultimately... There's a chance that, you know, especially as that deer gets older, that another buck pushed him out and he's occupied somewhere else. And then if that buck dies, then he moves back in. Like the, the social dynamics, I think, of whitetails are probably one of the least understood pieces of, of hunting and managing deer. Like we just, as, as a group of hunters, we just don't know why big bucks do this or do that. You know, it's, it's, it's a mystery. You know, and that that becomes part of the assumptions we have. But, you know, I think that it it's uh, it's something that we can't I don't know if we'll ever be able to put a, a thumb down on. And that's what makes them so fun to chase sometimes, too, because you just don't know. Yeah, uh, you can put all the planning and preparation into hunting these big deer. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, it, they might not be there in your area, yep. even though you got tons of camera camera pictures uh, of them throughout the year uh there's something that draws them away from your area at the time you're out there hunting and uh that's why i love deer hunting so much especially uh big big deer around this area uh, do you think the brian, unknown factors do you think brian that you prefer shed hunting or that's where i was gonna go hunting? that's the the loaded question 
Or, oh or man, is like, or I'm is so like... split on that. I love, I love deer hunting, uh, and uh, there's nothing that's better than that, in my opinion. Bow hunting, yeah, in Kansas, yeah. Uh, but it's also fun to go out there later on. The deer that you've been seeing on camera all the time, and uh, yeah. picking up his sheds, and actually see him in person, and uh, putting an age to him. And uh, so I'm split as far as that goes. But, well, I won't. I won't make you answer it. It's kind of like one feels okay. the other. Yeah, we Thanks. get it. Yeah. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least, my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And, dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. StealthCam.com. Check them out. I was going to ask Brian, just cause, <clears throat> so have you been, are you a lifelong Kansas resident? Uh, yes. So well, I mean, uh, born and raised in Pratt, Kansas. And, okay. uh, after college, I really start, my brother has been bow hunting since the eighties. Uh, he shoots bigger deer than I do. Um, <laughs> and he really got me turned on after college to bow hunt all yep. the time. And I've been ever, I've been addicted since, you know? And, and, and so yeah. I guess I was going to ask, like, just in terms of seeing, you know, and you don't have to age yourself, but seeing like after college when you were getting into bow hunting and stuff, you know, do you think Kansas has stayed the same? Do you think it's improved? Do you think it's decreased because there's more pressure? Just just like your own observation. Definitely here in the last five to 10 years, definitely a lot more pressure, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't see the population decreasing anytime soon. I think there's always going to be great deer here. There's mm. always going to be big bucks here. Um, mm. And it's, it's throughout the state too. I know people like their pieces of property they hunt, but there is big deer everywhere in Kansas. Uh, even around uh, big cities in Kansas, you get them around Kansas city yeah, uh, you just go south of them. I mean, there's big deer everywhere around there, mm -hmm. and uh, even with the the pressure from out of staters and more people bow hunting now and hunting year round, um, as far as season, um, I don't think it's affecting the the population mm -hmm. at all. I was uh, gonna ask because Jared just made the I said condescending content. I was gonna ask about crossbows if yeah. you thought that that was starting to put a damper on you know more pressure. We, we've seen, it seems like a lot of like former rifle or, or gun hunters have transitioned to, to crossbow hunting so that they can hunt, it, understandably so, I would, I would do the same thing. Yeah, so they can hunt the rut, they can hunt the full season. Uh, and so that leaves, I'm, I'm open to the idea that there's fewer hunters overall, uh -huh. but there are significantly more guys hunting much longer. And so the pressure on the, the deer or on the woods, you know, overall has increased for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Definitely seen older guys that were big time into bow hunting, you know, uh, turning into crossbow hunters uh, and hunting, you know, later in their life where they wouldn't have bow mm -hmm. hunted. Which uh, I've got no problem with. In their 70s. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, mm -hmm. sure. Uh, do what you got to do to for what you love, you know. When I'm 70 and I can't pull back my bow anymore, you I'll be out there with a crossbow. For yeah. sure. uh, Me too. Yeah. Definitely seeing older guys hunting during bow season where 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they wouldn't have been out there during bow season. Right. You know? They would have been rifle hunting. Yep. And you guys have what? It, is it, it's a 10 day rifle season. Uh, usually what's it start? December 1st. Yeah. Two weeks. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and, and it seems like, you know, when we get into some of these areas, I mean, there's definitely bow hunters in these areas, but there's a lot of the quote-unquote locals are, you know, they're rifle hunters. You know, they're waiting for that December rifle season, and that's that's what they're hunting. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of guys who just rifle hunt, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what they like to do. I'm not going to, you know, say they shouldn't be out there. Uh, I don't really like the deer drives that some, some guys do. Uh, 
Um, I think that's pretty unfair to uh, the deer, but uh, there's guys that do that around here as mm-hmm. well. And that's what they like to do. They like to get up with their, meet up with their buddies and have their, their deer drive for that year. And they go out one weekend and uh, then they're done. Yeah. Um, the, the mentality difference is, is interesting to me. It almost seems like, um, and not to knock like locals at all, but like the, the impression that I've gotten is like, you know, I know Jeremy and I, and a lot of guys that travel from out of state are like our primary interest is in like, is in the hunt is in like the, you know, the struggle, the pursuit, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, yeah. Figuring them out, the chess the, match. The chase. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, whether it's Kansas resident or, or people that just are more acclimated, more familiar with like, uh, with those areas, T- typically it is residents. They're just, they're way more interested in the least amount of effort to get a specific deer. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like we're willing to, to run a gun and I'm sure there are guys in Kansas that do this. I'm not, I'm not just speaking negatively about anybody, frankly, but it's like, that just seems the mentality difference is different. Yeah. It's more, Hey, there's a specific deer and I'm going to just, I want to kill I want to get him with the least amount of effort possible. You know, so you, you find him, you know, there's like a, a specific box blind or a, you know, just a, a corn pile and they'll be like, wait till the gun season and get them. That's just the most effective, effective way mm-hmm. to kill them to extend your range. And I, I, I do think it, <clears throat> maybe it's a bow hunting thing. Um, you know, but, uh, I do think that there's an element of surprise, but there's also an element of like, we know what we're looking for in terms of quality of buck or age of buck or whatever it is. You know, and I'm not saying that a lot of those rifle guys don't because, like, I know where we're at in southeast Kansas. Like, those guys don't even flinch if we don't kill anything over 170 inches. The like, residents. Yeah, the residents. The they, non-residents that come out. And, oh, they'll kill, I know where you're going with They'll that. kill whatever they want, you yeah. know. But I, I think those residents, you know, even yes. during, the, during the rifle season are, are very focused on, like, uh, you know, we're only we're killing giants. That's it. That's a, you know. Or meat. You know, I think or some meat. of them are just, yeah. Yeah, they, sl- they stack a ton of does. Oh yeah, you'll definitely see that where guys go out and they're they're focused on one deer and uh, and then you'll have the guys like you said that are just there to uh, shoot a bunch of does and fill up that freezer and uh, yeah, it's kind of iffy, I would say like uh, how much time they're willing to put in. Sure. You know? Well, I mean they got like you know ten days to two weeks to on a rifle season to to get it done and. You know, the one thing I think, it, in, and I don't know if this is, like, in your part of the uh, state, Brian, but, like, where we're at, it seems like these locals, because it's cattle pasture and some ag and stuff, like, they see these big bucks. Like, they're, you know, they're driving back roads in the evenings. They're they're seeing, they, they're like, yeah, there's a giant in here. And so that becomes, like, the focal point of anybody hunting in that area. Um, they don't need cameras. They just, like... Average Joe's checking cattle. He sees a giant. He tells his neighbor. Neighbor tells the guys at the diner, and like, boom, it's you know, it's off and running. So, um, you know, it's a weird kind of mentality. In fact, one of our buddies found a two fifty six deadhead. Guy had seen it on the road, um, you know, and and just rumors of a giant buck were there. He basically saw buzzards uh, not far from the road. I assume this deer got hit by a car. Uh, walk down in this ditch and there's this giant 256 inch deadhead, you know, and then you imagine after, hitting a 256 inch buck with your holy truck. cow, man, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, so now he's got this buck and essentially, you know, once, once it started to get out there, he took it to Kansas monster buck classic and stuff. Then it was like the guy, this guy was hunting it and here's a couple pictures of it. And, you know, now it starts to leak itself out, but you know, prior to that it was very hush hush like people knew about the deer but you didn't talk about the deer. i mean anymore the chances of killing a deer or seeing a deer that nobody else has seen before or has knowledge on is rare yeah it's just that they've like you said they've moved or mm-hmm. yeah the guy's still hunting him it five comes miles out. away it comes out after the fact i mean that's the blessing and curse i guess of social media is you know when when finally that deer gets out there and people see that it was killed you know, people come out of the woodwork from all over the place. They're like, oh, here's, I had picked daylight pictures of them all the time. Oh, I missed that deer, you know, so-and-so, you know, some of these deer have broadhead wounds, you know, broadhead stuck in them. Yeah. Um, That's funny you say that because uh, those two deadheads I showed you, um, never had them on my camera. No one were, was posting that on social media. And then after I found those and people saw my Instagram, 
Instagram, saw all those on Facebook, and pictures from guys in this area who were hunting that deer and uh, just didn't know where that deer went. And it's like, yeah, he was he he was dead early, and uh, a lot of guys have cam- uh, trail camera pictures of those deer, and uh, we just didn't hear about it until uh, I found him dead, and I wouldn't have been sharing them. You know, if I knew that deer was still alive, you know, sure. those, those camera pictures and yeah, it's really hush hush until, uh, someone either shoots them or, uh, it's that deer's found dead. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, you, you do wonder like whenever deer go missing, like we are always speculating, wow, you think a deer of that size, if somebody, you know, if somebody killed him, we probably would have heard say about it, it all the time. We said it with this deer. Cause it was like, you know, this deer, uh, we figured he probably would have been what low, low one eighties. And so it was like, okay, (laughs) that deer's big enough that if, if somebody found him dead during shed season or, you know, something like we would have heard about it. It turns out this deer at least lived another year. We had pictures of him the next year, you know? And so that kind of gives you the confidence, like, okay, maybe like, you know, if he does die, we hear about it. Um, we had another buck that I was, I was hunting that was one eighties that got hit by a cattle truck. Um, and they ended up bringing the shed, the, the dead head over. And I mean, it was a giant, you know, it was low one eighties. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you get a little bit of it, but it's not until it's a confirmed dead. Like if it's just a mystery, you don't know. Yeah. I was hunting a big double beam last year on this public ground and it's hunting them I had my last picture in uh, early November of him, and uh, he just disappeared. Never saw him again. And then down the road, I'm going to this taxidermist shop, and he's showing me all these deer from that area. And sure enough, that double beam is sitting in there on his floor. Wow. I got to put my hands on him, and he was a nice deer. And I was like, man, I, I wondered where he went. because uh, So I got that confirmation that uh, he was taken. Passed on a lot of good deer waiting for that deer, which mm-hmm. uh, sucks, but you know, that's the name of the game. It is, uh, man. I mean, and that, that's the kind of devastating part of, you know, not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket, but you know, most of us bow hunters definitely have a deer in mind that we're, we're going out and we're hunting and we're pursuing, you know, and sometimes I think, you know, anybody's hunted long enough, bow hunted long enough, feels like they end up hunting a ghost, you know, cause you just, oh, yeah. You know, well, dude, we, we've learned the value of just, um, over time, you know, put, putting miles on, uh, whether it's to find sheds or, uh, as we're scouting an area to, to hunt, especially mule deer. But I think that's more and more true. Like a couple of years ago, I was in the habit of going out and sitting on a, a bean field or an alfalfa field. And I'm like, I'm just going to watch this. And the hope there was like, you would get an opportunity to get a really good look at a, a buck we might suspect is in the area. <laughs> and that probably is still the best way to do it. But the amount of information that you give up by not being in the truck and driving and covering, covering ground mm-hmm. is uh, magnificent. I mean, uh, it's huge, you know, so yeah. anymore, dude, I don't, I don't sit on any field. I'm in the truck mm-hmm. almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, time of the stand pays off but yeah like you're saying uh sometimes just uh, in the summer months a, is what i'm talking about in the summer yeah okay yeah getting on a ridge ridge line and just uh glassing and seeing what those deer are doing as soon as hunting season comes around they might not be doing that same thing so in that field edge where you're always seeing them early season i mean that might not pay off uh but uh scouting driving around uh there's definitely good stuff into doing that instead of just being out in your stand a lot. Um, we do that a lot in November, even. I mean, if if yeah, we're no get, if it's a warmer day or we're just we're just not seeing deer, like we'll just get on the roads and and start cruising and getting close to public access that we can hunt. And you know, even if we spot a a big buck in you know private that's close to public, it's like, hey, there's a chance. Like, well, how do we? What's our access look like? How, how do we t- get in there? How many times have we gained new perspective by getting out and driving? Around? I mean, dude, being in the stand is a, is a commitment and. I mean, probably one I feel like you shouldn't make unless you're confident about it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're better off in some cases covering Just ground, moving. getting information, yeah. you know. And I, I mean, ideally, we should all want to spend as little time in the stand as, as possible. I understand that's the, the benefit of our group, though, is like when yeah. there's three or four of us hunting, hopefully somebody shoots one first day and then that's your eyes on the road, you know. So while you're sitting stand 100%. hoping, you got a guy out there saying, hey, dude. Uh, I, I don't know what you're seeing, but two miles up here against this public, I just saw a stud run in there. 
Well, and then it's like, you know, who wants to go up in? That's how them deer get killed, too, is you see them, <laughs> you make a move, yep. it works out. Mm-hmm. You know, way, way more often probably than just sit in a spot to, and sit in it and sit and sit. I mean, eventually they'll pan out, but yeah. to be effective with your time, it's get, get that information and, and use it right away. 100%. Yeah, definitely. And uh, talking to farmers, too, helps, especially if they're not deer hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had farmers <laughs> come up to me and be like, man, there is a huge one over in this area and I'm hunting public across the way, not hunting his farm or, uh, and the information you get from just, usually it's, it's, it's guys that aren't hunting that are telling you this, but, uh, finding those, those, those big buck and bucks in the area and then hunting as close as you can, as far as these public areas are, uh, and you don't always have to be in the spot, but to be close to the spot pays off a lot and uh right on cool man well listen dude we appreciate you coming on we'll have to look you up when we're we're out in kansas here and uh in the near future whether it's it may not be this trip because we're we're bound on time but but definitely in the fall and and hopefully when we come back and shed hunt uh in the spring and um you know if, if anybody uh hasn't already your handle is what kansas shed hunter on instagram uh yes kansas yeah and obviously if you're just looking to see like what the state has to potentially offer good place to look good place to look (laughs) yeah good place to look yeah brian won't give you any gps coordinates but uh they're they're at least inside the state borders of kansas definitely uh thanks for having me on guys Uh, i appreciate it and uh like watching you guys' podcast your stuff on youtube and uh can't wait for deer season, man. Hope you guys have good luck here in Kansas. Well, we'll Thanks, make sure man. we share some uh, some picks if we get some good bucks down there. Yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch, Brian. Definitely. Uh, cool, man. Well, we appreciate good. you coming on, dude. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Take care. Cool. Uh, it was a good episode. Uh, I mean, just our, you know, maybe if you're not going to hunt Kansas, you're not excited like we are, but we're going to be there next week. We're going to be hanging stands and cameras. Are we starting to try to target in on some of the bucks like you see on the table here? Um, Dude, there's just a, there's something about just knowing that you're going to be in an area oof. with giant bucks. Like that's what that's what you know Kansas offers. That's what a bunch of those Midwestern states offers. Mm-hmm. If you go there, there's a chance. There's there's a chance. We say you can't kill them if they're not there. Well, I mean, and, dude, uh, if you look at this table, there. you've got you know probably a high 140s set there. This deer would have been what we would said one sixty ish. It's an eighty two inch shed. Yeah, so he probably would have been high one fifties, low one sixties this year, and this is two years ago. I mean, dude, if that's an eighty two inch shed <clears throat> with a let's say eighteen inch spread, that's one sixty. That's a hundred and hundred eighty inch deer. Yeah, one hundred seventy five, hundred eighty inch deer. Yeah. Uh, this deer was uh, the one we called white whale a couple years before um, I killed him. And uh, I killed him at 175. Um, so that was on ours. And then obviously this was a wide boy. He would have been 180s. This deer would have been. So, I mean, right here you got one, two, three, four booners, you know, that we've encountered in, in our time on there. Um, They're pl- out there. Plenty more to go. They're out there. You know, so. I'm optimistic. So I'm hunting public too, primarily. Mm-hmm. And we've just got like a sweet little way to access it that i think makes that spot good mm-hmm. and uh i mean there's there's two for sure mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's more since i mean it's been two years since we've been there it was crazy i was going through i was just looking at old pictures <clears throat> and like thinking about we were talking about kansas that day and uh i realized like out of my top five bucks all, first of all all five of them worth with a bow uh i killed a 146 in in kansas which is that buck over here Killed a 155 in Kansas, which is that buck over there. Killed a 157 in Kansas, which I don't have mounted yet. Yep. That 163 is Pennsylvania, yep. and then the 175 in Kansas. So of of my five biggest oh, yeah. bucks, four are Kansas. Oh, yeah, and that'll that'll <laughs> continue to be the case. I mean, you, you kill big deer where where big deer are yep. at. And yeah, in I mean, Kansas, we do, so we, we're going we, to Kansas. I'll tell you what, and it sounds crazy. Like when we when we get there on Thursday, Jared and I will. By the time we get to Thursday night, if we do this YouTube live, we'll look like shells of men. Because, I mean, we will work hard all day Thursday. 
And Dude, we will I put looked, miles on. I looked like a shell of a man yesterday when I, after I put 13 food plots in yeah. and then got up at 4 o'clock the next morning to clean yeah. ice cream machines. It, it'll be, I mean, it, it, you know, we put in a lot and then, you know, it's all for the chance of, like, if you get a buck that looks like this on camera, it's like we're in the game. I found some more cameras, too. <laughs> so I have we have a couple more maybe to add to the mix. I say we take, I've got three or four, too. I say we try to get six or, six or eight out. Okay. Let and, me see and, what else I've got. Um... Let me see what else. Oh, I just... I have two more in the back of my truck, too. Um, One, two, three. I have at least three to add to the mix. I, I've tested a couple of these. I've got um, some of the new Terra cells from Wild Game coming today. They're actually really nice. Um, I trust them as being good cameras to put out as well. Okay. Um, so they're coming today. So I'll put that. Dude, I, I don't want to distract from it. And, and obviously, disclosure, there are sponsors. But, <clears throat> you know, it's cell cam season right now. And I know people are looking like... The, the cameras that I think we have come to trust is, first of all, Stealth Cam Fusion X. I think you can get, if if you go to Stealth Cam's website, I think you get two for a buck fifty right now. Yeah. No brainer. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that the, the image quality is like, uh, not as good as some of like the, I mean, there's some really expensive cameras. Yeah, like your, a Spartan or a Reconyx. And your Reconyx, you But know? I mean, you're... You're getting two cameras for 150. It's going to cost me $400 for a Spartan and $600 for a Reconyx. Yeah. Well, and so we buy the stealth cams fully, no, and we pay. I mean, we pay a pretty much full price. We buy them from like Midway USA and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, knowing that, you know, these are we might not get back to them, and it's not like they're disposable cameras. But man, it's it's, it's a lot easier bucks. to justify a hundred dollar camera mm -hmm. over a seven hundred and fifty dollar one. You know, hundred percent. And sometimes you just you can't get back. Or I mean, we're burying some of these deep, and it you know, yeah, we don't. So we've got those these Terra cells I got um, are really nice from Wild Game. They're ninety nine bucks a piece, um, and then the Muddy Merge is the other one that or manifest those are the other two muddy cameras we've been using but those five cameras first of all every one of those cameras i think is under a hundred dollars or under and they all wild games got its own system but everything else goes through that stealth cam command app and i mean yeah if you're going for quantity of cameras you know you want reliability you want battery life obviously put lithium batteries in these things don't cheap out put lithiums in um, put them in the right place. Hopefully you've got good signal, you know, and you can expect these things. Don't, don't put it on three pictures every five seconds. Like just be smart about how you use these cameras and, and they'll last several months in these places. And like you said, you know, if we get back to them in the, in the spring to pick them up during shed season. Awesome. If for some reason we don't, yeah, I mean, it sucks. We left a hundred bucks out there, but it did its job hopefully for what we're paying. And yeah, I think one tip would be like, take, a Verizon and an AT and T out with which you. Which like, I have I've ordered both. Yeah, just throw two over your shoulders if you're walking in somewhere, and then see which one you know connects better. Has better connection. No. Yep, because yeah. that'll save your battery for sure. So, yeah, I mean, check them out, man. If you guys are if you're in the the cell cam game, and you're looking for good quality pictures, but not breaking the bank. Which you know between you and I, I don't know. We're running. It's fifteen bucks for three for unlimited. Yeah, we're running what sixty some cameras probably. Yeah, probably. I, I, we couldn't afford that for Spartans and Reconics. It's a write-off. <laughs> I still couldn't afford it. I'd have to Another mortgage. tip, start a whitetail-oriented business <laughs> uh, so you can write off trucking expenses. I'd have to expenses. mortgage my house for, for my, my camera addiction. So, mm -hmm. Anyways, um, yeah, that's about it. So hopefully if you're listening to this, if you haven't, go back to last week. Uh, we should have done a YouTube Live, and there definitely that Tuesday – uh, Mark Drury episode drops, which is a really good one. So if you haven't gone back, check that out. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Later. It's take me. Oh.